Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'd like you to turn there with me tonight. I want to introduce you to someone you probably have not heard about before. His name is Maximilian Kolbe. I think there he is, Maximilian Kolbe. And uh, this man uh, has a significant story that we need to know about. He was arrested during World War II in Poland, February of 1941, and just a few months later was sent to the Auschwitz death camp. Of course, you know the horrible stories of what took place in Auschwitz, as the Nazis were attempting to wipe out the Jewish people from the face of the earth, not only the Jews, but many other people. There's great genocide happening. And uh, in that death camp, there was an attempted prisoner escape. And in that prisoner escape, they were caught as they were attempting to escape. And so uh, of those of that group that made an attempt... One of the people, one of those men, was selected to die out of them as a punishment for their attempted escape. The name of that man who uh, was slated to die for the crimes of the group, uh, his name is going to be hard for me to pronounce, but you'll see his picture here. His name, Franciszek Gajowiznik. And as soon as they pointed him out and said, you're going to die, because of the attempted prison break. And as soon as that happened, he began to cry. He said, I have a wife. I have children. If you kill me, I'll... And as this scene began to play out, he fell on his knees and began begging with the Nazi prison guards. At this moment, it is when Maximilian, go back to the first picture, stepped in. He was a... uh, Catholic priest, nope, first one, sorry. Catholic priest, he had also uh, uh, started missionary works in Japan and India and just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, in Poland when the Nazis began arresting people. And so here he was watching this take place. He's only 47 years old. And as he sees this other man crying for his life, he makes a decision. He silently stepped forward, took off his hat, and he he said to the guards, I am a Catholic priest. Let me take his place. I am an old single man while this man has a wife and children. And he asked if he could die in that man's place. His request was granted. 
Apparently, the Nazis had more use for a younger man than an older one. In reality, though, they weren't that far different in age. Uh, he was only 47 years old. The first man, Francis Chick, was only 41 years old, not that far apart. But uh, on that day, they exchanged one life for another. And Francis Chick was returned to the ranks. The priest took his place. Father Colby was thrown down the stairs, broken limbs, and left there to starve. After two weeks being left there to die, he was the only one that remained alive. When somebody finally came down to find the bodies, they noticed that he was still breathing, and so they put a lethal injection of carbolic acid into his body. Colby is said by an eyewitness that he raised his left arm and calmly waited for the deadly injection. This was on August 14, 1941, at the age of 47 years old. He exchanged his life for another man. So whatever happened to the other man? Let's see his picture again. That was on the day of his arrest. Now the next picture is the same man except 50 years later. 50 years later, this is Franciszek Gaujewiznek. This is the man that Father Colby saved. And he lived a full life, 1972. He led a group of more than 125,000 Catholic believers to pay homage and tribute to this man, Father Colby, in Poland. He spent the rest of his life telling this story of how he had been saved. And because of his, uh, his speeches that he gave, and he, he would always uh, thank God for sending this man at the right time, at the right. he was forever plagued with guilt because of how this father so willingly gave his life on his behalf. In fact, every year for the rest of his life, on August 14th, he went back to Auschwitz, and he lived out his days. He was 95 years old when he finally died in the year 1995. And as a result of his, his uh, story, th this man, Father Kolbe, was immortalized in a couple of ways. The next picture you'll see, this is a stamp that was made in his honor in West Germany in the year 1973. They honored him for his sacrifice. And finally, the last picture there. This is a statue of Father Colbe. He's on the left side there. And this is at Westminster Abbey in London. He will forever be remembered as a man who made a great sacrifice, who did not think of himself first, but thought of others. And that is the message that we need to hear tonight, the message that the Apostle Paul brings to the Corinthian church. It's a message of selflessness, and it is one that is desperately needed in our generation. And I want to read this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can leave that one up there. Actually, let's go back to the stamp. I like that one better if we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So this is a a sermon I've titled, Not Seeking My Own Profit. Something we desperately need to hear tonight. Let's pray. God, we need you desperately tonight. We need you to speak to our hearts, God, to remove the stain, the root of pride and selfishness that exists in every one of us here tonight. God, let us not to think of ourselves only, not to think of ourselves firstly, but God, to place others in a place of honor and prominence in our lives, to live for the sake of others and for the sake of you. And we thank you tonight for this opportunity. Remind us, God, show us areas of selfishness and pride in our lives tonight. We give you glory for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. Amen. Glory to, I got some warm tea up here with me. Amen. So tonight, we want to examine this scripture because this is, a, this is a common refrain from the Apostle Paul through his writings that he is often reminding the church of how important it is to think about other people first. In many ways, this is a message that is tailor-made for our generation. When we think about how much our culture, how much our The world around us is so focused on self, it is almost impossible for us to think about what life would be like if we truly thought of ourselves second and we thought of others first. Just think about how often we are thinking about self-interest, how often we are thinking about, you know, and we have the ability to do that more than ever before. The, uh, the selfie generation, right? It's the idea of I want to put on an image for all of my IG followers. I want to make sure that they know how good looking I am, how powerful I can be, how awesome my makeup job is, or you know, how great clothes that I own. Uh, and, and this is the mentality of our generation. It is the me generation. It is the what about my needs. And this bleeds into every part of our lives. I think about often, I, you know, as, as a pastor, one of my jobs is that I get the, um, <laughs> the difficult task of speaking to married couples that are in crisis. One of the problems with married couples in crisis is that many people enter into marriage thinking that by marrying this person, it's going to make my life better. How many understand that's the wrong way to think about marriage? Marriage is the opportunity to serve someone else. It is, the, it is the reason to think about yourself less and about somebody else more. And marriages go through great problems because of this issue right here, because people think of themselves before their spouses before their children. Think of their own needs before the needs of others. And the, the, the way that it plays out in society is very destructive because here's what happens. If you live a life that is constantly seeking your own pleasure 
for your own purpose, what it will lead to is self-exaltation at the expense of everyone else around you. It means that the needs of others will be put down as you exalt the needs of yourself. And what it leads to, beloved, it leads to a life of loneliness and solitude and pain. Because as you burn bridges of relationships around you, how many understand relationships are priceless? When you are at the end of your life, and you, you, if you have the gift of knowing when your time is coming, and you begin to examine the things in your life that you are thankful for and you are proud of, can I tell you, the things that you are thankful for and proud of is not going to be your Instagram profile. You're going to be thankful for and proud of the people in your life that you love and care about. The only way to maintain real relationships in this life is through service, through surrender, and through sacrifice. And that comes, beloved, when we are able to get past selfish thinking. Paul understands this deeply. And he is bringing us this truth once again. He many times... He uses his own life as an example of how we ought to live. And obviously, he was looking to another example, to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we find the exact same principle. In Philippians 3.17, he said, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He says, if you want to see what it's like, to live for God, I have given you an example. Philippians 4.9. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Thank God for the Apostle Paul, who is not only a good teacher, but he lived the things that he taught. And he was confident. See, when he's saying these kinds of things, this is not Paul boasting about Look how awesome I am. No, he understands that my life is a life of service and sacrifice and surrender. I'm living a life that is in submission to the will of God first and to the needs of God's people second. And because of that, because he is confident in that surrender to the Lord, he can say that. He can say, look at my life and follow my example. I am grateful for people in my life that I can see. Obviously, we all, we, you know, we have a, a Bible that we can read. We can read about Christ and his surrender to the will of God. We can read about the various apostles in the New Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament. We can read about these godly examples on paper. But how many understand it's quite different to have a living example in front of you? And many times this is what makes or breaks someone's relationship with God. I wish it wasn't this way, but it is. Oftentimes, I hear about kids who grow up in church, you know, like PKs, pastor's kids, or CKs, those are church kids. One of the problems with those PKs and CKs is that many times they get the impression, they hear something being preached over the pulpit, but they're seeing something very different when they go home. Far be it from us 
Because that is what produces in CKs and in PKs, it produces a great resentment against the church, but even worse, against God himself. That's why we've got to be like the Apostle Paul to be willing to say, oh no, you follow my example. It means we as parents and we as disciple makers, we as church leaders, we have got to live lives that are worthy of copying, of imitation. Back to the the following verse here, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul makes this statement. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Let me just make a, a statement here. I don't want anybody to imitate me unless I am imitating Christ. Because the only thing that's good about this guy is what Christ has put in me is the Holy Spirit that leads and guides my life. Insofar as I am submitted to the Holy Spirit, yes, follow my life. This is not a blanket uh, uh, commandment to follow someone blindly into a ditch. That's what the Pharisees did. They were not led by the Holy Spirit. But what this is, is a recognition. Paul understands, I am submitted to the will of God, to the purpose of God, and that's why I can say to you, Corinthians, be like me. His call to imitation is all over the Word of God. This is exactly what he's speaking about in our Scripture. What is the example that he is following, that he is setting? First of all, it's the example of his heart for all men. This is, this is pretty incredible. If you read uh, verse 31 again, listen to what he said. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all. Everybody say all. all. Do all to the glory of God. Then in verse 33, just as I also please all men, say all men. Paul had a heart toward people around him he had a heart to see them saved and so that means that the way he lived his life whether he is eating whether he is drinking or whether he is just living life on a daily basis he says you better be doing this for the glory of God this is the example that he was setting for the church listen to Colossians 1 verse 28 it's him we preach warning every man every man and teaching every man every man in all wisdom that we may present every man again every man perfect in Christ Jesus to this end i also labor striving according to his working which works in me mightily now here here's a, a point that we have to uh, come back to again see it reminds me of this story of, of father colbe i don't know if he knew anything about this, this other man, he stepped in and said, you know, I'll take his place. I will die on his behalf. He didn't ask about his history first. He didn't ask, are you a criminal? He didn't ask, uh, do you beat your wife when you go home? He didn't ask, uh, you know, do you give to charity? He had no uh, conditions on this decision, did he? He just said, you know what? There's a man. Uh, he says he has a wife and a child. You know what? I'll take his place without conditions. 
And when he did that, Matt, he, he gave us a real-life, flesh-and-blood example of Christ-like sacrifice. Greater love has no man than this. And he lays down his life for a friend. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and, and a, you know, he, uh, he's, he said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you know, love God as, uh, you know, lo- love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. They said, who is my neighbor? And you remember the story. He goes in, he speaks about the good Samaritan and asks, which of those three men was the neighbor? Well, the man who, you know, picked him off off the road, put him on his own animal, took him to an inn and paid the fare and made sure he had enough to recover. He said, that's that's what it looks like. That's what it means to love your neighbor. And we think, church, that, that, you know, just by putting a sign on the outside of our building means that now we're loving our neighbors. Paul is teaching us here. That our, con- our, our care and our concern, it should be for all men. Because that is exactly who Christ died for. Can you say amen? Christ died for the whole world. For God so loved the? That he gave his only begotten, begotten son. And by the way, when Jesus came to save your life, he wasn't looking at how, m- how many times you've messed up. He didn't leave some people out on the side. Oh, no, those are too far gone. Can't save them. Did he? See, we are the all men. We are the world. And aren't you glad tonight that there there are no conditions to the blood of Jesus? He simply asks us to come to him in a spirit of repentance and faith. And if we will, he will save us. Colossians 2 verse 1. Paul describes uh, this, uh, this idea. He says, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. He is speaking to basically the whole church and desiring them not only to, to know God, but he's desiring for them to advance in the kingdom, to make advancement. This is his compassion. Why was Paul so compassionate for all men? Well, who did he learn it from? He learned it from his Savior. Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, if you would see yourself that way, it would revolutionize your life. It would change everything. If we would see ourselves as having been crucified with Christ. And now, listen, it is no longer Adam Dragoon who gets to live. It is Christ who gets to live through me. It is no longer Ramon Zapata who's sitting in the front row. It's Jesus Christ in Zapata's arms and legs. It is no longer Chris Sost. But Chris Sost has been crucified with Christ. And now Christ can live in him. That's why, beloved, that we have no place for selfishness in the kingdom of God. 
There is no place for self-seeking, for self-profit. And yet, this is what we are often slipping and sliding into. Christ was the one who had compassion for the lost. We read in Matthew 9, verse 35, that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing sicknesses and diseases. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Do you still have compassion for the lost? Do you still see? You know, this is why. This is why we as a fellowship, we will not drift on the purpose of why we are here. We are here to, to rescue the lost, save sinners, to make disciples, and to plant churches. And we will continue to do those things because there are still sinners that need to be saved. The moment we become focused on our programs and we, we become so uh, 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 centered. See, see, people are not the only ones who can become selfish. You know, churches can become selfish too. Churches can become inward focused instead of outward focused. Churches, and, and many times with good intentions, we want to serve our people well. Many times the church can, can uh, you know, let's, let's have this program and that program and this small group and that small, and listen, none of those things are evil. But if we begin focusing so much on our internal programs, and we forget there's still a lot of people that are not saved. There is still... Uh, what's the statistic? I think it's the 30% of millennials that, you know, we talk about millennials. Well, you know what? Millennials are people who are born after 1990. And that means that they're not much younger than me. That means that they're, they're 35 and under. And then there's another generation behind them, the Gen Zers. But they say that 30% of millennials have never been to a church service in America. That's a lot of people who don't know the Lord. Probably some of them living right next door to you. Probably some of them working at your workplace. Probably some of them in your extended family. Probably some of them living right next door to you. The job is still not done. Can you say amen? Do we still have compassion for the lost? This is why we still send missionaries. Even though it is insanely expensive. Do you understand how much money it's going to take to send those two missionary families? Pastor Campbell is going to spend at least $50,000 sending them. Just That's just getting there. That's before we talk about buildings or vehicles. That's before we talk about any equipment. Just to get them and their families into the right place. Why would Pastor Campbell spend so much money? Because we care about souls. In Lima, Peru, because we care about souls in India. We care about those people in Nigeria. That's why Bitwell and his wife Mary have been there for 15 years, building an incredible work of God. But you know what? It's expensive. And yet, we have compassion for the cities and villages of the world because this is what Christ taught us to have and so if we are going to have that compassion beloved 
we are going to have to put down the idea of self-seeking. Our scripture calls it my own profit. My bottom line. How is this going to benefit me? Because this is what the natural man, this is our first thought, isn't it? How's it going to affect my life? And many people come to church with that thought in their mind. How is this church going to benefit my life? Do I like how that preacher preaches? Uh, do I like the taste? Hey, uh, do, uh, how come you guys don't serve, you know, Starbucks? You just got that cheap Folger stuff, man. What's going on with that? How come, you know, how come, it, it, how come we don't have the nicest facilities? You know, the reason that we are not so caught up with those things, beloved, is, is because we are not self-seeking. We are seeking the needs of of others. This is what Paul said in our scripture, verse 33. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So right here, you're going to have to make a decision. Serving God means not serving you. Ooh, I felt that a little bit. What happened? Serving God... Serving his kingdom means not serving your flesh. It means there's going to be decisions and sacrifices that have to be made with your time, with your money. It means there's going to have to be some surrender. Why? He says, I'm not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. The salvation of our community is at stake. Do you see this? That when the church is focused on self, when we lose sight of the cause, when we lose sight of the needs, and we fail to have compassion, that's when their fate is sealed. It begins right here in the church. Whether we decide to seek our own profit or the profit of many. Salvation of souls is what is at stake here. Now, you might, you might make a value judgment in your life and say, you know what, Pastor? That's not very important to me. The salvation of the many. The salvation of the people. I don't even know their names. I don't even see their faces. Why would I worry about that? But I tell you, that is not the attitude of Christ. That is not the attitude of our Father who is in heaven. And that's also not the attitude of the Holy Spirit who is supposedly living in you. Because when the Holy Spirit lives in you, guess what? You will have compassion for people that are not like you. That don't look like you. That don't talk like you. You will have compassion for people on the other side of the planet that you may never meet face to face. Because that is the spirit of God who lives in us. This is why Paul is making this point again and again. This is why seeking of his own profit has to be put down in our lives. This is why he explains about abusing our liberty. Right? We, we talked about that before in previous chapters, how, uh, how Paul makes the statement. He says, you know, 
if, if meat, eating meat sacrificed to this idol, he says, it's stupid. It doesn't matter to me, right? It's just a dumb idol. Who cares if I eat the meat? If I eat the meat, this doesn't send me straight to hell. But he says, if there's a weaker brother sitting at the table and he is offended by that behavior and I become a stumbling block to him and me eating that meat and taking my Christian liberties and I can do whatever I want, that causes him to stumble and perhaps his salvation is at stake. Then Paul says, you know, I'll never eat meat again. I'll be a happy vegetarian. Because I'm more concerned about the sake of your soul, my brother, than I am about my own profit. What about you? What about our church? See, this is why many churches, beloved, this is why many churches struggle financially. I'm amazed during this season of COVID how many churches are just totally shut down. How many churches are struggling financially? You know, at the beginning when, you know, March and April, uh, I was listening to the statistics and pastors who were responding to these surveys and they were saying that they were positive about the the results of COVID-19 and the, the effects it would have on their church. Most pastors at the time thought that it would be a healthy thing for the church. But now here we are six months later, nearly 20% of churches that have shut down because of covid They're not coming back. Did you hear that? 20%. That there are pastors, they have no money. Buildings are being lost. Why is all this happening? Because there are people who are seeking their own profit. And, you know, COVID has been a great gift to the church in this way. It has revealed who's the real deal. It has revealed who is really in this. For the kingdom and not for their own profit. And maybe those churches needed to be shut down anyway. Maybe those churches had become focused on self. Paul says, listen, there are some things that I'm going to put myself down so that others can be saved. 1 Corinthians 9, just a few chapters, a few verses before this, he says, I am free from all men. I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became like a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as those who are under the law, that I might win those under the law. And those who are without the law, without the law, not being without law toward God, but law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Listen to Paul's logic here. He says, you know what? I can find common ground with anybody. This doesn't mean that Paul goes and smokes pot with the pot smokers. This doesn't mean that Paul goes and goes with prostitutes like all the other prostitution people. No, what it means is that I can find common ground with anybody. You know what the common ground is? I'm a sinner. I'm in need of salvation. And to the Jew, I can go to the Jew and I can tell him from the law, I can expose that we've all broken that law and we need a savior. 
And he says, you know, to, to those who are without the law, to the Gentiles, I can go to them and I can reason, even on Mars Hill. We can, I can talk about the false idols and I can show them that the, 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 the unknown God, they didn't even know, the one that they didn't know his name, I'll tell you his name. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who died on the cross for you. He is the God who created all things. And to all men, he can find common ground so that he can save some. Some. The point is that Paul was not living this lifestyle of the rich and famous. How much greater place I can live? How much more can I accomplish? He made himself a servant because that's what Christ did for him. Listen to some last scriptures as we close tonight. Romans 15, 1 through 3. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's got some weight to it, doesn't it? Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is the example that Christ set for us that was then reflected in the life of Paul that should be reflected in every single one of us. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Verse 13 For you, brethren, you've been called to liberty, but do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love that you might serve one another. Christ comes to set us free. He who, who, he who the Son sets free is what? We are free to live for God, aren't we? But that does not mean that we are free to do whatever we want. Does not mean that we are free to live lives of selfishness and pleasure. It means we've been set free to serve God and the way that we serve God is by serving other people. You know, it's like it's like when you get a job. Maybe some of you can remember what it's like to not have a job. It's been a long time since I didn't have a job. <laughs> but I can remember, you know, be in teenage years, it's tough to be a teenager, aren't, isn't it? I mean, you're like stuck in this world between uh, childhood and adulthood. And uh, and as a teenager, you want to go off and do so many things, but you don't have that freedom because you're still uh, you're still living under the roof of someone else. Right. And I can remember that when I got my very first vehicle. It was a beat up old uh, Chevy Beauville van, 1978. Oh, that thing was a tank, man. They, They don't make them like that anymore. 78 Chevy Beauville. That's right. And it had one of those buttons on the floor for the high beams. Click, clunk, click, clunk. <laughs> Barely had any air conditioning in Arizona. But I'm telling you, that thing set me free. But you know what? To be able to drive that van, I had to pay insurance. I had to pay for gas. Now, back then, you know, gas was a lot cheaper, like less than a dollar. Starting to sound like an old fart, man. Had to pay insurance, had to pay gas, had to pay registration. 
You know, money doesn't just come from nowhere, so I had to get a job, J-O-B. And so what that means is with greater levels of freedom, it means I had to be willing to submit, surrender to the will of another person. Right? I had to go to a job and check in and punch the clock, and I'd have to be there. I, I didn't want to be there. But I went there because at the end of the week, I got a paycheck which I could use for my freedom. See, the liberty that Christ gives us is not just to do whatever we want. The liberty that he gives us is so that we can be in service to him. People say, yes, Lord, yes, pastor, I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he's my, he is my savior and he is my Lord and he is my master. Really, how are you serving other people? Because that's the true measure, isn't it? The true measure of your service to God is not how many Bible scriptures you can quote me. The true measure, if I take your spiritual temperature tonight, it's not how often you come to church. You know what it is? Can God minister to other people through you? That's the measure. If we take that temperature tonight and we apply it to the Apostle Paul, we can say, yes, he was serving the Lord. You know why? Because he was serving the church. He was serving people. He was caring about them. He was loving them. He was becoming all things to all men so that he might win some. Very easily in this life, we can get into a pattern I'm not serving anyone on behalf of the Lord. I'm serving myself. I'm serving my needs. I'm paying my bills. When's the last time God used you to bring someone closer to the Lord Jesus? Because that's the measure tonight. I challenge you this evening. Paul's example I do not seek my own profit. I do not seek the betterment of my own bottom line. But I'm here to help somebody else. Because <laughs> the truth is that, that you would not be saved tonight unless somebody would have served the Lord on your behalf. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody told you, had an awkward conversation about, hey, would you go to church with me? Hey, you know, um, you know, sin is what leads to death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Somebody, somebody along the way taught you something and led you and gave you an example of how to live for God. And I know people don't save people, but God uses people. And God wants to use you. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. Paul's attitude was, I'm not here to seek my own profit. I'm not here to get something out of this. I'm here to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who poured out his life for the sake of many. What about you tonight? Are you pouring out your life for the sake of others? There are so many good illustrations of this. We started the message tonight with the story of this Roman Catholic priest who 
gave his life so that another man could live. He didn't think of his own safety first. He said, you know what? I'll take his place. That story is so far separated from the story above every story, which is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though, no doubt, that father, that Roman Catholic priest, he was a good man and he was, he was doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, he was still a sinner. There was only one person who's ever lived without sin. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked 33 years on this earth. He faced every temptation that you and I face, and yet, without sin, he lived the life that you could not live. He lived in perfect obedience and submission to the Spirit of God, to the will of God. And what did he get as a result? The greatest injustice that has ever occurred on planet earth is that he was led to the cross. And the Bible says that when Jesus was faced with the cross as Pilate was standing there in judgment, he made a statement to Pontius Pilate and he said, Listen, no man takes my life from me. The only authority that you have, Pilate, is what my Father has given you. He says, no, I lay my life down freely, willingly, because I didn't come to seek my own profit. I didn't come here to make a name for myself. Jesus says, I came, I came to do the will of my Father who sent me. And you know, that really ought to be the call of our lives here tonight. Maybe you're here this evening and the truth is, you're not living right, you're not right with God. And you, you are the one who needs to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by, uh, by performing some religious duty. What we are saved by is grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight, you're willing to turn from your sins and say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I want to be forgiven this evening. I know that I'm not right. I know that I'm not living right. My sins are in control. And I need salvation. This is your opportunity tonight to confess your sins, to turn from them and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, quickly, I want to pray with you. If that's you, would you lift up your hands saying, Pastor, I need the Lord Jesus. I see young people's hands rising up. Is there anyone else? Quickly tonight. You need the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins and set you free. Is there someone else? Quickly. Maybe backslidden in your heart like the prodigal son who wandered from the father's house and you've come here tonight. You know you're walking in darkness. You're separated from the father. You know, what it, you know what it means to serve God, but you've wandered from his will. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. Is there anyone else? Quickly tonight with these uplifted hands. Is there someone else? Quickly, quickly as God deals with hearts, the Holy Spirit is faithful to convict us of our sins. Is he leading you to salvation tonight? It's time to respond. Anyone at all? Anyone else? Quickly, quickly tonight. Lifting up your hand. Amen. We're going to pray together at this altar then. With those who lifted your hands, I want to speak to the church very quickly. We live in a selfish generation. We live in a time, in an hour, where it is just normal to look out for number one. 
my bottom line. How is this going to affect me, my family? But I tell you, living for God means living on another level. It means putting down the profit of self. It means living up to the example of Christ who laid his life down. The sheep who laid down his life for the sake of everyone else. That's what Christ, that's the example he gave us. And and that example was reflected in our scriptures. The Apostle Paul says, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. My question tonight Are you a life? Is your life one that is worthy of that imitation? If not, we can find our place at an altar tonight. Say, God, I want to repent because there is selfishness at work in my life. It's easy to, to hide. It's easy to make excuses. And, you know, but here we are on a Wednesday night church service. And can we recognize for a moment that there might be, just maybe, a hint of selfishness in us? Is it possible? It's more than possible, isn't it? That in the heart of every man and every woman, it is likely that we are tempted to think of ourselves more than others. Tonight, I want to challenge you to say a prayer. God in heaven, I want you to remove selfishness from me. I want you to help me to begin thinking like you, to think about others first, to think about the kingdom, to think about the church, to think about the needs of your kingdom first before the needs of my own life. And if we would do that, wow, it would would be revolutionary. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. I believe God is dealing with some hearts. So those who lifted up your hands, I want you to come now. You didn't lift up your hand, but you know you need to find a place of prayer here at the altar. Amen. Let's come together right now and let's, let's come to this altar. Let's pour out our hearts. Let's confess. Confess our sins. See, repentance is not just for the sinner. Repentance is also for the saint. Would you come, church? Let's come to the altar. Let's pour out our hearts. Say, Lord, forgive me for seeking my own needs, my own wants, my own desires. Lord, I want you to help me tonight as we sing the song of worship. Let's cry out to the Lord right now. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.